Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome in for worship this morning. We are so delighted to be with you. If we haven't had the chance to meet, my name is Bethany. I'm the worship director here. And it is our privilege to spend this time just coming before the Lord with you today. If it's your first time with us, or maybe your first time back in a long time, we are extra delighted to have you here with us this morning. I also want to remind you, if you're joining us online at our 9 o'clock service, we have online hosts who are available for you all throughout the morning. They'd love to answer your questions. They'd love to pray with you. We strongly want you to feel connected to what God's doing in this place, no matter what you're going through today, no matter where you are. So we encourage you to participate in that chat as you feel led. And please use that request prayer button if you want to go into a one-on-one chat with one of our hosts. They would love to pray with you. Well, I would love to invite you to stand in body or in spirit for our call to worship today, which comes from Psalm 1. And it says this, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law he meditates day and night. Did you know singing is a way of meditating on God's word, on his law? He, this man, is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. Let's meditate on the goodness and the faithfulness of our God this morning as we worship together. Let's put our hands together. days, all my days, 
morning, but I think you're going to find these lyrics fairly familiar. Let's put our hands together. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven, right here in my heart. Father, let your kingdom come. Father, let your will be done. On earth as in heaven. Oh, 
Hello. Hey. I had to turn it on earlier, so I was worried it was me. Um, in a moment, we're going to take communion, but before we do, um, and you may be seated for right now, but um, before we do, I want to tell you we're starting our series in the book of Colossians and Philemon this week, and so it's a great week to start with communion. We're actually going to take it again next week as we consider in the first two weeks and through the series a picture of who Christ is in his fullness, the image of the invisible God. And we're going to look at that over this whole series, but today I want to start, I want to talk to you before we take communion about our human eyes versus the universe and reality as it is in the eyes of God. And to do that, um, I've got this image up here, um, and this is an image from the Webb Space Telescope. Um, and if you haven't seen these images before, they're, they're these magnificent images where you get to see so many incredible things. And, and you may be looking, thinking, Matt, that's black with some white dots. The only thing I really notice is that you took this image from Gizmodo. And you're right. And the reason for that is because this is one of the images from the Webb Space Telescope when it is just raw data. Because the image that's there just shows us what our human eyes can see. But the, the telescope took all of this data from infrared, and they took it, and NASA said, we want people to see all the things that are unseen. And so that same image, when they take the spectrum of the human eye and push everything into it, looks like this. And it just blows me away how much of the world, the universe, creation is outside our sight. And all of the beauty that's there is beyond what we can see. Compressed into what we can see. And when I think about Jesus, I, I don't want to compress Jesus. I don't want us to think of him that way. But Colossians 1 tells us that he is the image of the invisible God. And when we see that, and when we take the elements, which we're about to do, we're going to invite you to come up during this next song and grab the bread and the cup. When you do that, Jesus, who is far greater than anything in creation, put himself, the word became flesh, that we might have a way back to God, that we might live in our hearts now and for all eternity like God's kingdom has come and that we can be a part of it. And so praise the Lord for that. As we begin this series and as we begin today, I want to encourage you to come up during this song and to think about the body broken and the blood spilled for the forgiveness of our sins, that we could be transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. He has redeemed us, and as we come before him today during this next song and during this series, I want to encourage you to not lose sight of who Christ is. The image in our heads does not match his majesty. And let's not try and confine it to that, but let's praise the Lord that he brought it 
into the spectrum of what we could see. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your son. We thank you for your son. And Colossians 1 tells us he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And Father, we thank you that because of the peace that Jesus made on the cross, because of his resurrection, because he is on a throne in heaven even now, we have the ability to stand before you. And we pray even now that we would not lose sight of that, but that we would follow you well and truly. We pray that right now we would consider the cost of what your son did for us and we would praise you and we would just recognize that costly gift. We would rejoice in it, and we would live as those who believe it in truth. We thank you that we can come before you today, and in remembrance of your son, we can take of the bread and the blood and the cup. We pray this in the matchless name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.
Let's come before the Lord together in prayer. Jesus, thank you. Man, our, our English language, our human understanding, the words we have available to us seem so trite when it comes to giving you the gratitude and the glory and the praise and the adoration that you are due, saying, Jesus, thank you. It doesn't seem like enough, but it is what we have. It is what we have, and so we bring it. We bring all of ourselves as best as we can this morning. We lay down our lives and worship before you, Jesus, and we cry, thank you. May our gratitude deepen. The more we understand who you are, the more we understand the gravity, the cost of what you did, of the price that you paid, so that we might come into your kingdom. Father, I lift up each person in this room, each story, each heart and family. Those who are worshiping from far away today, you know them, you know where they are. Holy Spirit, will you just make us aware of your nearness to us? We don't have to beg you to show up. You're here and you're moving and you're speaking. So will you just give us the eyes to see you? Open our ears so that we can hear you. Open our hearts and deepen our love for you today, we pray. And may those who are here seeking answers, may those who are here seeking hope, may those who are here seeking comfort and a reason to get out of bed tomorrow, may they find you in this place. May they find you in your word proclaimed today. Holy Spirit, we need you. We rely on you to help us understand what it is that you have to reveal of your greatness to us today. So we surrender to you again in this time. This time is yours to do with what you will. So just help us to be aware of you as you move and as you speak, as you work today. We love you and all of this is for you and for your glory. And it is in the matchless name of Christ Jesus, our King, who is seated above on the throne of grace, that we pray. Amen. Amen. And you may be seated. Good morning, friends. My name is David Green. I serve on the elder board here at Springbrook. And I am just excited to be here with you today. Thanks for coming. Uh, if you are online with us or if you're here in person, we just encourage you to uh, complete the connection card that's in front of you. It would be in your seat or it would be a link for it online. We just let us know that you're here as well as uh, it gives you an opportunity to request a call back from our pastoral staff or to request prayer. We would love to hear from you. I'm really excited to announce the return of Upfront Prayer here at Springbrook. This is something that we have suspended pre-pandemic, uh, and we're just excited to be bringing that back again. It's going to take a little bit different format than it did when we've done Upfront Prayer before. We're going to be doing Upfront Prayer in between services. Um, so this is a little bit different tact. So after service today, starting this week and every week going forward, at 10.20 to 10.50, you can stay a little bit late after the first service or come a little bit early to the second service, and our, our prayer team will be assembled up front here, 
and they would love to pray with you for anything that's on your heart. Lastly, friends, I just wanted to talk briefly a little bit about October, which is Pastor Appreciation Month. Um, This is a time where, as a congregation, we have the opportunity to come together as a congregation with one voice and just say thank you to our pastors and their families for all it is that they do for us here at Springbrook. So for the next four weeks, our elder board will be coming together up here, and we'll be spotlighting a different pastor each week. And so this week, I have the privilege of spotlighting Pastor Richard Wallard and his wife, Carolyn. They have uh, been married this month, friends, for 37 years. God bless them. Let's give them a round of praise. (laughs) 37 years. That's amazing. They have four daughters and two grandkids. They are enthusiastic grandparents, friends, and so uh, God bless them. Their cup runneth over. But the Wallards have been with us here at Springbrook for 14 years. And for the first 11 years that uh, Pastor Rich was here at Springbrook, he served as our executive pastor. And for the past three years, he has ascended and has been assuming the responsibilities of lead pastor. And I just want to tell you on a personal note, it's just been a privilege at a board level to serve with him. His leadership is just simply off the charts. And I could not imagine a pastor who would have served us more capably during the pandemic than he did. He led our church capably. Let's give him a round of applause, friends. Amazing job, Pastor Rich. You are the man. (laughs) So, friends... During Pastor Appreciation Month, we just ask that you dig deep. Just pray and just uh, ask the Lord how it is that you can bless these pastors and their families. Give them a hug. Write them a note. Give them a gift. Write them a check. Whatever it is that you feel led to do, but just do it generously and just let the Lord lead you, friends. And so, lastly, I just wanted to say again, my name is David Green. I serve on the elder board here at Springbrook. If you go to springbrook.org and you go under our leadership, You'll see the bios of all of our elders here online. If you want to see our contact information, our email addresses, and our mobile numbers, we would love to hear from you as a board if there's anything that you'd like to speak with us about. Thank you very much, friends, and have a great service. Hi, my name's Matt. I'm one of the pastors here. Um, Before I say anything else, I just want to tell you all, um, that video was made by a guy named Ben Weltzin. He's the guy who does our story videos and a bunch of other video stuff we do. And um, every time I see it, I'm blown away. Because like two months ago when we were working on the curriculum, I mentioned to him, hey, I want to do a bumper. Can you help? And the picture I had in my head, I thought was like a six out of ten. And now I realize it was like a 2 out of 10, because that's what he came up with, taking a few ideas I had and saying, let me just take that to the extreme. And I I love what he put together. And so as we start this series, we're going to watch that video every week. And I just want to tell you, Ben Weltzine did it, and he is a phenomenal video editor, content creator, and he and his wife have like a video business, and they do wonderful things. So I want to shout out to them. 
I also want to tell you as we jump into this series, um, if you're not in a small group, this is the week to make the jump and join a small group. Um, We are starting this series. I know most of our small groups have new people joining them or interested in joining them. This is the week to jump in and say, hey, let's give this a try. Everyone's on equal footing. Um, We've got our booklets out there, and I want to thank Brandon Cassio and Caleb Brandt for working with me as we made those. We've been working on this curriculum since like December or January, Um, and I have to joke, we've been working on it that long because of how many times my family got sick in the spring, and so every time it felt like we had some momentum, I'd be like, guys, I'll see you in two weeks. And, but um, I am so excited for this series, and I know they are as well. We have been digging into the book of Colossians all year, praying for this moment as we start to dig into it together as a church. And so I'm very, very excited to see where we go. And as you heard during communion, kind of the theme underneath the theme of this series is there is a world that we see and it is limited in comparison to the kingdom of God where Christ reigns. And our hope is that we could begin to see the world as it really is with Christ as preeminent over all of creation and over every experience of our lives that in every moment we would recognize Christ as king and recognize Christ in us and follow him well. And so I'm very excited to get going in this series. Um, To start, we're going to have to open up and start reading in the book of Colossians. So if you've got your Bible, I'd encourage you to open to Colossians 1. Um, I'm going to read it in a moment, but I feel like there are a few things I need to say before we even jump in. Um, As you open to the letter to the Colossians, um, the first two weeks of this series, to me, are the most wonderful things in the world. Paul, in the first two weeks of what we're reading in chapter one, is setting up a picture of Christian maturity based on the premacy of Christ, the supreme, the preeminent Christ, Christ who is above all, and how that should lead to us being mature followers of Christ in every moment. And so we're going to read this week. What's funny, this week we're not even going to spend much time on Jesus, and it's not because It's not because I don't want to spend time on Jesus, but it's because we're only going to cover the first 14 verses this week. We're going to stop right before what I read during the communion prayer. We're going to stop short of he is the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. And the reason we're going to stop short of that moment is because it would take much longer to preach on that, and we'd all forget about these first 14 verses, because Colossians 1, 15 through 20, the picture of Christ that is presented is something that we can't do with another 14 verses if we want to really dig in well. So the cool thing here is that I get to preach the next two weeks, and I basically have two sermons that I've been working on together at the same time, so all the stuff we don't have time for this week It's just next week's sermon. Um, And so I'm really excited about that, and I hope you'll enjoy that. But I want to tell you, this letter, these first two weeks, we are going to see a picture of Jesus and what we are called to in light of that in a way that I hope will challenge you. It will help you to think differently about the way we see our faith in this world and the way we act in each and every moment. So I'm going to read the passage, and then we'll pray, and then we'll dig in. Colossians 1, 1 through 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, 
To the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you, as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner of the Lord fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have delivered us. You have redeemed us. We thank you that the picture we are looking at today is a picture where the gospel that is at work in the world, the whole world, that bears fruit and increases is working in our lives. And we are evidence of that fruit if we follow your son in truth. We pray we would be citizens of your kingdom We pray we would live in the truth that we have been redeemed and rescued, that our sins have been forgiven, and we pray we would walk in a manner worthy of you, that we would live in a way that is fully pleasing to you. We pray as we begin this series that you would open our eyes to what your word has to say. I pray where the picture we have of Christian maturity is lacking and incomplete, you would show us this broader range. I pray where we are narrow-minded in following you, where we lack the depth that you call us to, where we lack all knowledge and spiritual understanding and wisdom. We pray that you would give us sight to see you and your son as you truly are and to follow you well. I pray right now that you would give us all ears to hear and eyes to see as we read through this passage and as we study this letter. We thank you for your son. We pray that these would be your words and not mine. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So there's something we need to talk about right away when we jump into this passage. There's a point in this passage where Paul says that he's been praying and he and Timothy have not ceased to pray so that the Colossians would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And this is a challenging thing in modern Western United States, in, in, the, in the world of individualized culture. The idea that we could walk in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord is something that we just don't believe. You might believe it. You might think you believe it. But I want to ask you before we jump in, do you actually believe it is possible to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him? 
Because the caveat that pops into my head, the thing that I say, well, I agree with this, but there's an asterisk because I'm a fallen human, which means I can't do this until I die, and then in glory, I will be this. That's what I think. That's, that's my not just defense mechanism, that's my belief if I'm not careful because I believe that someday I will walk in a manner fully pleasing to the Lord, worthy of the Lord. But it's hard for me to believe I could do that here and now. And the problem in the passage we just read is that Paul is not saying to the Colossians, someday you will be this. He is saying, right now, you who have been delivered by God from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of, light, or a kingdom of his beloved son, you are to live in this way. And in modern Christianity, we don't think this way. We think, well, someday I'll be that. Someday I'll be this complete picture. And then we settle for, I'm not there now, but I will be someday. And we just kind of live there. So the starting point of this whole series is we need to be able to answer yes, that it is possible to walk in this manner in this life. The Lord's Prayer, we sang that new song, which was awesome. The Lord's Prayer, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God is not, or Jesus is not telling us to pray that someday we'll be in heaven. He's saying right now, let us participate in the kingdom of God. And so we want to start from this picture. And I want to encourage you that our answer to this should be yes, even as we know we will never perfectly carry this out in this life. But if we don't believe we can, we fall very short of what Colossians is going to call us to. So now we're going to start at the start of the letter with this idea of, do we believe it's possible to do this? And our letter begins, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Paul right away reminds them of who he is. He's an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. And then he mentions Timothy, our brother. And he says, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now, there are some things we need to know that this letter does not tell us in the introduction, but we know from study, from reading through other books of the Bible, and from looking just at church history, and there are things that we need to know in order to dig in. Um, The first thing, we're talking about letters, not just one letter. We're going to be in the book of, or the letter to the Colossians, but we're also going to look at a letter to a guy named Philemon, and we'll talk about that in week seven. But the letter to the Colossians was not a single letter. Paul sent two letters. We also need to know that Paul had never been to Colossae. When Paul begins writing this letter and says, Paul, an apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the will of God our Father, when when he starts this letter, he's writing to an audience that he has never met. He did not plant this church. He didn't send a bunch of people to them. He's aware of them. And he's writing them this letter. So this is not an audience that Paul knew. He had only heard about this audience primarily from two sources, which we'll talk about later. But we need to think about this because Paul is not writing to an audience saying, hey, here's all the things you need to know. He's not responding to things they've asked him. They didn't write him a letter. In fact, they weren't expecting this letter from Paul at all. This is a surprise for them. Both letters are surprises for them. We also know that Paul was in prison when he wrote this. He wrote this around 62 AD. He wrote this while he was in chains. He wrote it at about the same time he would have written Ephesians and Philippians. But but these letters that he was sending, it's important that we don't lose sight 
that he's sitting in prison and that is probably known by the believers in Colossae. And the reason that's probably known is because the main reason Paul winds up in, Chris, uh, in prison is because of his interactions with Jews. You can read about it in the book of Acts. But the Jews do not like that Paul is preaching the gospel to Gentiles. There's all of these different things happening. And Paul is just boldly preaching time and time again. And eventually, in an argument with the Jews, it winds up going to court. And Paul winds up in chains in Rome at the end of the book of Acts. And that's where we are in this letter. And why this is important is because the Colossian church was a primarily Gentile church. Probably at this point in church history, this was the one Gentile church that Paul did not have fingerprints directly on in planting. This church is unique in a lot of ways. And when Paul writes to them, what's interesting is Colossae is a city 1,300 miles away from Rome. And in that distance between them, Paul, who has never been to Colossae, he knows things about it. One, he knows it's primarily a Gentile church. Two, he knows there's a whole lot of Jewish people in Colossae that are challenging the church and calling the Gentile Christians to live in a more Jewish way. We're going to talk about this a lot later, but it's important that we're at least aware of this. The other thing we need to know, and this is the last thing as we jump in, Paul sends two messengers with these two letters to Colossae. One is the letter of Colossians. The other is a letter to Philemon. Philemon was the man who hosted the house church in Colossae. It was his household where the church met. And one of the messengers was a co-worker with Paul by the name of Tychicus, who delivered the letters. And the other person was a guy named Onesimus, who had been a slave of Philemon and had run away And at the start of the letter to the Colossians, when Paul sends him back, he is sending him right back to where Philemon would have the authority to kill and imprison him for the rest of his life. And we're going to spend a lot of time on that later. But it's really cool to mention, the Colossians aren't expecting a letter, and they're certainly not expecting a runaway slave to return. As we move on, so Paul and Timothy are writing this letter. They say, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Paul doesn't know them, but Paul and Timothy are always thanking God for the testimony they have heard about the Colossians. Paul is so Thankful. Thankfulness is going to be a theme we see throughout this series. And when they hear of their faith and of the love they have for all the saints, they are encouraged and they praise God for what they hear about the Colossians. That is something when we talk about things like the Timothy Initiative, where all these churches are being planted, we praise God because of the work that we hear happening around the world. And Paul is doing that here in this moment. There's also something we have to talk about in the Greek. We have to be nerdy for a moment. The word all. The word all is a fancy, not fancy, it's a very simple Greek word, but it's a Greek word, pos. And I have like a clever pun about we need to pause for pause, pause, but um, it only works if you went to some schools in Greek because some people say pos, some people say pause. Um, 
no Greek scholars out there. That's okay. Um, but this word can mean all, every, whole, fully. It's a word that is all-encompassing in meaning. And why this is important is because when we see words like this in grandeur, like the word all, show up all the saints, we have two choices. We can either think there's exaggeration happening, or we can think there's a whole picture happening. We, if, if you were here um, for Student Sunday, we talked about the book of Jonah. Everything in the book of Jonah is exaggerated to the extreme. He was very angry. He was very happy. All the people, none of the... There's, there's a picture that happens a lot of times when we read the word all or every of exaggeration. And I only bring this up because sometimes we read it that way and then we immediately think, well, all. Well, that doesn't mean all. That means most of it, or a big picture. But, but in this instance, what we're going to see in the book of Colossians is that Paul wants us to really settle down to the idea of all as all-encompassing, of everything. This isn't hyperbole. This isn't exaggeration. This is Paul saying we need to settle on a whole picture of Christ. And, and we're going to go super nerdy here. This is a graphic. Um, these are all the books of the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, uh, um, and, and so like Matthew and Luke use the word pos a whole bunch of times, over a hundred, and Acts uses it, um, and, and the thing is, is if you have a little bit of Bible knowledge, you know that these are longer, and then starting about here, they get shorter, and then they get shorter and shorter. Um, when we just look at this, it's like, okay, Matt, um, but if we average all the books to be about the same, like you average the number of times a word is used per thousand words in each book, the, the graphic looks a lot different. It goes from this to this. And the book of Colossians uses the word all way more times than any other book in the New Testament when you average it out. And you may say, why does this matter? Well, because Paul uses the word all a whole lot, and we need to take account for that. In fact, if we go even more nerdy, the other thing we have to be aware of is that in Colossians 1, Paul uses the word all 20 times. And you may be like, well, I could use it 20 times in a sentence if I wanted. But the point here is that in our scripture, this is so important for this week. Every time we see the word all or holy or whole or fully or every, when we see this, Paul is drawing a picture in Colossians 1 that he wants us to be sure we do not miss the scope of the message that he is proclaiming. And if we miss that, we're going to do a disservice to the text because it is all over in the text. What's funny is next week, we'll hear even more about it because next week, the word all shows up even more as we move further into chapter one. But we need to account for this. When we keep reading in the passage, Paul says, we thank God for the testimony we have heard about you and your love for all the saints and your hope in the gospel. Of this you have heard before in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, all the world, it is bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Now, I want to tell you all, one of the things that I had never considered before the book of Colossians was um, it talks about the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. It, the gospel, is bearing fruit and increasing. The message of the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world 
as it also does among you. Paul's point at the start of this passage is you are a part of the gospel in the whole world and the fruit that it is bearing and the increase that is happening. You are a part of that and it is happening among you. And, and we cannot miss this because we are fruit that the gospel has borne. We are part of that increase and we are to bear fruit and increase in the same way with others and in our lives as the gospel has done in us. We are invited to share in that work as we'll see later on. After Paul says all of this, he says, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. Um, and I think this is important because when I read this letter, one of the things that I kind of giggle about is that Paul doesn't know them. And if you take this line off, everything above it could kind of be seen as kind of like a flattery type thing. But then he, he says, he's like, I'm not just making this up and I don't know you. He says, I've heard about the way that you learn this from Epaphras. You're a part of the gospel bearing fruit and increasing as it's doing among you. And I've heard about this from a fellow worker in the gospel. He is a faithful, Epaphras is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Paul's starting point of this letter is, even though I don't know you, I know of you, I'm so thankful to God because you are evidence that the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. Praise the Lord. And, and we see here that Paul is building this picture at the start about he's thankful for what they're doing, He's encouraged by what they're doing. The reason he knows about what they're doing is from one who was among them who helped plant their church. And now in verse 9, we are going to start to see Paul's challenge. And I have to say something. Colossians 1, 9 through 12 is a lot of text, right? If you have your Bibles, it'll probably be easier to read in them. But I'm going to put this up here because there's some visual things we need to be able to see. I'm going to read it and then we're going to look because I think this is the mission statement for application of the book of Colossians. And so from the day we heard, and remember, Paul said, we pray, and when we pray to God, we are full of thanksgiving. Also, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That's our starting question. Do we believe we could actually walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Now this passage is a picture of Christian maturity where we see he's, Paul and Timothy are asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of his will, God's will, the same will that we saw in the first verse. Paul is an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, that same will that they would have the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual and wisdom and understanding, that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The, the prayer is that they will understand in such a way that they apply it to action. And then look in the middle here. I talked about the gospel is bearing fruit and increasing in the whole world. The purpose statement of this passage for the Colossians is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. What does that look like? It's bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. It is literally doing 
what the gospel is doing in the world. We are being invited to share in the good news about Jesus. Now, I do need to say, um, we're going to talk a lot about Jesus next week and give a super clear definition of the gospel We don't have time this week, because if we do it this week, I need to pull in all of next week's passage. Um, And I joke about this because of how wonderful I think that this passage is and the implications. But what I will tell you is the gospel is that Jesus Christ is the resurrected king from the line of David. He died on the cross for our sins. He rose from the dead, and he reigns in heaven. He is seated on a throne by the right hand of God. And when we pray to him, we are praying to him on that throne. The good news is that the kingdom where he reigns, we are qualified to share in. We are made saints in, the, in light because of the work of Jesus. And if we are those saints, we are able to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. We are able to bear fruit in every good work and increase in the knowledge of God. We are able to do these things not because of us, but because of Christ in us. And I start from this because if we do not understand this, we're going to miss a whole lot of things. And so I come back to our question, do you believe it is possible to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him? And Paul is saying, you better believe it because our prayer is that you would do it. And so we go back to this passage and I want to tell you, okay, we're going to go really deep. I'm very excited, but I'm also like, there's like 20 things. That was because I was thirsty, not because I wanted to slow my thoughts down. Okay. When we look at this passage, there is a thing that we do as modern English speakers. Um, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to point it out in a bunch of different ways. But, but our understanding of words from the Bible um, is, is bad. Um, and it's because English is bad. Um, and, and it's not that I think we should all speak a different language. We just need to acknowledge that this ancient book that was mostly written around 2,000 or more years ago, they had a different worldview of everything. We're going to talk a whole lot about that next week. But the one thing that happens in our modern world is we see our thoughts and our actions as different. We think we have head knowledge. We think we have heart knowledge. And head knowledge is things like, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Heart knowledge is we walk in a manner. We do the right thing. Head knowledge is I think the right way. Heart knowledge is I do the wrong thing. And what happens is we, we separate these things, but we can't do that. Because the head and the heart, in how Paul is writing, he says, you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. You need this knowledge of God's will and spiritual, all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to actually walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him. These coexist. If you don't have this, you won't do this. If you think you can do this without this, you're missing the whole picture that Paul is putting forward. He then flips it and says, bearing fruit in every good work, that's words, actions, and deeds, following the Lord well. And when we do that well, we see an increase in the knowledge of God. And there's a back and forth that Paul is doing. And the way that Paul is doing it, we have to get rid of the idea of head and heart. And we have to think, if I actually know something, I will do it. We use words like believe in such a cheap way. And let me tell you, the Bible does not. 
when the Bible talks about believe, when it says if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, or if you believe in your heart, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When it says believe, it doesn't mean believe like, I think that's true. I also think the bears could win. I also think ghosts could be real. I don't know. Um, We use believe for facts to decide whether we think something is true or not. But it doesn't really affect the way we live. We could take, oh man, we're going to do this next week more. but, But when we get on social media and we read something, we decide whether or not we think it's true. And we act one way online and then a different way in person. And it's this fascinating thing that we do because our belief is in our head Our actions are different, and we have convinced ourselves that that's the way things are. And the problem with this is that when you read the word believe in the Bible, when somebody believes the gospel message to be true, the idea of belief is that they live in a way that proves. Belief is about action, words, thoughts, and deeds tied together. It's about, I know this to be true, therefore I live in this way. Belief is about knowing something to be true. And, and you may be saying, well, Matt, why did you start here? I started here because I wanted to show you that we read this and we don't even think, well, that's not a very strong word for that. We read this and say, yeah, believe. It's a good Christian word. What do you believe in? What do you think? But then we believe in so many things, but we don't live in a way that reflects that belief so often. The gospel message, the picture that Paul has today, we need to wrestle with this idea. Do you live in a way that proves it is possible to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him? Because if you just believe it and never take any action based on it, you do not believe it. Because if you believed it, it would affect the way you lived. Being a Christian means living in a way that proves it is possible to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. This week, uh, with some men at our church, we're talking about some upcoming men's things that I'm not going to talk about right now, but we were looking for something to read together, and the first thing I thought of was a book by Dallas Willard called The Kingdom Life. And in the book, he talks about, we like to think of the gospel as, I believe when I die, I get to go to heaven. And when we read scripture carefully... What we see in scripture is not just I get to go to heaven, but if we believe in the gospel, the question becomes, if I know and believe I am going to live forever, what kind of person would I want to be? And the only right answer to that is found in Christ and walking in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. For many of us, we think of our faith as the thing for when I die, I get to go to heaven instead of thinking about the here and now. And what is so crazy about this is that this is not what the Bible presents anywhere. The Bible gives a picture of bearing fruit. And the problem that happens when we talk about bearing fruit, and as I wrote the curriculum and talked with Brandon and Caleb, why we changed the entire application at the start of August, even though we need to get to the printer, is because I know what happens when we talk about this in the church, especially the modern church. When we talk about bearing fruit, believers say, well, once saved, always saved. You don't have to bear fruit. You have to believe. And again, I think believe means living in a way that proves, which is fruit. But we talk about, well, you're saying now it's by works. I am not saying it's by works. What I am saying is that if the gospel is at work in you, 
fruit will be shown. If you have been sealed to God through the Holy Spirit, if you have qualified to be a saint in the light, if God has transformed you into a citizen of his kingdom, if you have become that, it will be proven in the way that you live. It will not be proven because you can point back to a moment when you said a prayer and felt a certain way. It will be seen in word, thought, Indeed. And this is not me challenging once saved, always saved. This is me saying most people's once saved, always saved challenges a picture of salvation. And so if you have questions about that, come ask me. But it, whenever we talk about this, people say, well, now you're saying we have to bear fruit, which means we have to do works. And the Bible doesn't say you have to do works. The Bible says works will be evident if you actually believe it is possible to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord fully pleasing to him. Because the gospel is not about where I go when I die. It's the fact that I can live in the kingdom here and now. In the final verses, we see this brought to bear. He, God, has delivered us from the domain of darkness, delivered, rescued us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I have to tell you all, last night, the moment where I felt really good about today, um, and I, this should have been on Thursday, but we've had a long week, but last night, this word transferred has always bothered me, and so I did like a quick study, my how to say the Bible class people, you know, I looked in all the different versions and stuff, and I was like, it's just a weird word. And then last night, I was reading it again, because I was trying to think of an illustration, I was thinking delivered and transferred. Um, it, it sounds like a FedEx delivery. It sounds like something so, like, corporate to me. It sounds like, it sounds like all right, I, I was working for the wrong guy, and then I got switched to a different department. That's what it sounds like. And the reason it sounds like this is because English. Um, that word transferred, in the Greek, it's metastition. Um, <laughs> Um, you don't need to pronounce it either. Um, but to cause a change of state with emphasis upon the difference in the resulting state. To cause a change of state with emphasis upon the difference in resulting state. That's a lot different than, well, I got promoted or I got moved to a new department. To change to, turn, to, change to, to turn into, to cause to be different from, to transform. The picture here is not a picture of God went, like it's not something that simple. It's not, when we talk about the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, he's not talking about us in this flippant way of, all right, I've moved you over. We have been moved over, but it's a transformation. He doesn't leave us as citizens of the domain of darkness. He does not leave us saying, all right, we've been shifted over, and now when we die, we'll start to be the type of people we're supposed to be. We are made into citizens of the kingdom of his beloved son. When you consider going from the domain of darkness into this kingdom, the language there, if you think about transformation, is language of citizenship. It's language of belonging. It's language of your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And now I am going to participate in that just as all of you are. And if we follow Jesus, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We have been made into these citizens. And now it's our job to live up to what God has made us into when we became citizens of the kingdom of his beloved son. This is what we're going to spend 
the next eight weeks on. I'm so excited, and I want to tell you all, I feel like we're just falling flat today because what I want to read for you and what I'm going to read for you, because I'm going to cheat, I'm going to talk about next week's sermon, is right after we see he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and made us citizens in the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The picture we come to over and over in Colossians, we cannot lose sight of Colossians 1, 15 through 20, because the picture of Christ that we're going to dig into next week allows us to live up to what he has called us to, that we would bear fruit in every good work, that we would increase in our knowledge of God, that we would live in such a way that it proves to others that the gospel is real in our lives. If we follow Jesus, people should look at us and it should be evident that the gospel is real. And that's what we're going to look at over the next eight weeks. Let's pray. God, we thank you. We thank you that even though on our own, there is no way for us to enter your kingdom, you rescued us you delivered us, you redeemed us, you took us out of the domain of darkness and you transformed us into citizens of that kingdom even as you are daily transforming us as we follow you. We pray that we would not lose sight of your gospel message. We pray that we would be those who bear fruit. We pray we would increase and that we would help others to come to know you. We pray that the fruit that we see in our lives would be true We pray we would not settle for some lesser version of your truth. We pray right now that throughout this series that we would look at our lives and we would think deeply about what it would look like to live in such a way that other people believe it is possible to walk in a manner worthy of you, fully pleasing to you. And we recognize, we confess that we are sinners and we will never perfectly do that in this life. But we pray we are those who try and that through your spirit we are those who do better and better, that we bear fruit, that we increase in our knowledge of you, that as we look over the course of our lives, we can look at the points where through you in us, fruit was born, people encountered you, and we grew in our knowledge and understanding of you. We thank you for your son, who is the visible image of you, the invisible God, We thank you that through his death, through his blood, through his resurrection, we can enter into a kingdom where we are redeemed and have the forgiveness of sins. We pray we would live as citizens of that kingdom. We thank you that you transform us into that. We pray we would not lose sight of the promises that you have for us. We ask all these things in the name of your son, Jesus, who is matchless and preeminent above all others. 
It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand one more time in body or in spirit together as we respond to this word we've received this morning.
Amen. We want to thank you once again for worshiping with us this morning. We pray that you have been blessed and that you will come back next week as we continue in this series. I just want to read these words over you as you go today. Now may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Go now in faith to love and serve the Lord. Have a blessed, blessed week in him.